Listen, I have an idea. An idea. An idea. Whatever today has given you Five eleven headaches still call it Thanksgiving True Welcome to another edition of the Super Duper Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Griggs, here with the super producer doing double duty as McMahon. Yes. <laughs> What's going on, Rob? How you doing, man? I'm good, my man. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Glad to be here, man. Absolutely. Thank you guys for checking out the Super Duper Podcast. If this is your first time, welcome to the SDP. You will experience something that is lovely. 107 episodes in... What, seven? I'm sure that's wrong, but over 100 episodes. Yeah, I think that's and, right. I think that's right. That's right. Let's see. Yeah. Look, I know myself. Yeah. And we thank you for being here. Make sure you listen, share uh, with a friend. Make sure you like, subscribe. Uh, we do some great things here. We appreciate you listening. Make sure you follow us uh, on Instagram at Super Duper Pie, S U P A D P A P O D. You can also send us an email at Super Duper Pod at gmail.com. And you can also follow us online at HP53Productions.com for our mer her her. Her, 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 herch, and get your south side DNA. This hoodie season's on the way. Get you a hoodie and get you a mug for your hot toddy. Uh, that weather's dropping. I can tell because these allergies are getting me, dog. Uh, and also, you have additional content such as the Father Good podcast with Kenny Stevenson and our own Marshall Givens and as McMahon with the Easy Smoke and GM podcast. So, you guys literally just got the recording. What you guys talking about? We this just week? got finished. We previewed the NFL season, we went yeah. through every division. We picked our uh, our division winners, our wild card teams, our, our conference champions, and our Super Bowl winners. So. Whoa. Oh, I won't even ask y'all. I won't save that for the save that for the show. For the pod. That's for that's on the pod. But yeah, absolutely. We went through it. So yeah, good, good, good show. So you know, we got Dr. Williams on the show today. He says the Bears are going to win it every year. I said so now. So there's one thing you don't know about. Okay. Uh so- <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, hey, I, I hope so. Hey, no, no, I hope so. don't don't even do it. So make sure you guys check out the Easy Smoke and GM podcast wherever you get your podcast. So as I said. As we got a guest today, but before we get to our guest, we'll talk to a, through a few things, a few things about me and you, right? So we're we are doing this thirty water challenge. Well, I'm doing a thirty water challenge. You're just on the chart. Uh, so we, I will explain to people that the thirty water challenge was in the month of September. A group of us decided. Now, granted, we had some, we were having some beverages. Some people probably uh, said yes to some things they didn't want to agree to, or like, wait, I said yes to that. But the challenge is this. For the 30 days in September, you are to drink a gallon of water. Now, there's a formula where you can find the water that is supposedly for your, depending upon your weight, but a gallon of water a day, and you are to work out 21 of 30 days. No, was it 21? 21. 21, 21 out of 30 days of the month. I, being the good friend I am, made a Google Doc or a Google Sheet for everyone. Uh Sir, Sir Ezra McMahon is the chart. And uh, I don't think you've opened it, brother. Not not, not a one time. Mm, not once. So I drank I drank the water one day. <laughs> As we are on day seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm so, I'm, I'm I'm sorry. 
So just now, what was the hardest part for you? Uh, is it the water or the exercise? The water. Yeah. That's a lot of water. Yeah, people. Some people in the group are texting me and even saying they don't know in the chat. Like, dog, I'm sick of going to the bathroom. Like, I just can't keep going to the bathroom this much. Now, I've been doing a gallon of water a day. I don't even know how long, man. So, it's it's been a long time. If you're looking at me, I got one of these here. Yeah, I see. Okay, okay. Is that the bottom? That's the one from earlier this week. It wasn't from today. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know. It act man, it's it's uh, it makes it a little easier mm-hmm. to actually drink, you know, you you know throughout the day. But yeah, it's tough. Man. Yeah, see, the key is you got to start in the morning, man. You got to start early. I think people start like at three and they try to drink all this water. It's like you're gonna die. You're gonna kill yourself. Yeah, you got to yeah. start. You got once you wake up, start drinking it, and then by this, it'll be over before you know it, man. Yeah. Um, but you know, but if you guys want to join 30 Water Challenge, feel free to. Uh, we we're, so today's September 7th, so you got three, well, well 21. Do your math, I'm sleepy. 23 more days to join us, so you know, you still can, you still got a chance to do the 21 days of 30 uh, minutes of fitness, and of course, you can still do every day of uh, a gallon. You will still probably surpass Mr. S. McCann on the chart. So, well, I'll, we I'll, I'll catch up in October. <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely yeah, done. Nice. Yeah. So listen, so again, another one about you is, man, I learned today in our corporate chat, you know, we were talking, shout out to Shiji the ball, shout out to Marshall, that you have a thing for one Miss Erica Badu. Now, again, not to say nothing wrong with that, but I just found that surprising. I've known you for a while. I've, I, you know, not to say I know everything about you, but, but there's some things I figure I could call if somebody said, as does this, yes. He doesn't do that. The Erica Badu thing caught me by surprise. So please explain, brother. I mean, because she's on she's in concert on Sunday, right? She isn't because she's going to be in Chicago Sunday, and I'm going to see the concert. Well, wait, weather permitting. Yeah, it's at Ravinia, right? It's at Ravinia. Yeah. Shout, shout so, out to Metro. Take that Metro. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. So, what is it about Erica? Because I've seen a live. Some of shows weird, dude. I, gotten, I, I just I can't I can't do it. The last time I saw her, I saw her taste. The last time I yeah. saw her, it was an outstanding show. So was it just a, like she had a, the, the the super machine by her that made it sound like an alien? No, no, no. She just sang the song straight. Just, yeah, okay. straight, straight up show, and uh, and she had on some uh, some very nice uh, outfit thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I was, I was about to, I was about to describe it, and then I was yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Some people may be heads. listening, and yeah, oh, yeah. I, I don't mm-hmm. want to get in trouble. So but, that that thing was thanging, as it, as, the, as they would say, something, something like that. Okay, and gotcha. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome, man. So, you, so now you understand why Common was wearing knitted hats in the summer. You get it? absolutely, yeah. You know, cro- yeah. Crochet shirts. You, you, you see why? Uh, why Andre Three Thousand was wearing was wearing rugs <laughs> on his on his on his trousers. Just like these boys going wild, but you understand, huh? I totally understand. Yeah, hey, I, man. I, I I do it too. Yes. What's your What's your favorite Erica Badu song? Somebody was telling me. I think it was my sister. Was like, I don't know any Erica Badu songs. I named like five. She said, Oh yeah, I know all those. I was like, I'm telling you, people. Erica Badu's music 
it's like you don't realize you know that many songs until she starts singing it. You know what I'm saying? I will give it to you. I think outside the extra stuff she did in the show, once she's kind of sang the songs, it was like, yo, these are hits. They, they are real bona fide hits. So what's your favorite one is? It's got to be, uh, what's the title? What you going to do when it comes was, to you? Oh, yeah. That's my, yeah, that's my jam, yeah, man. From the first album. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. I, I think was, that's. That's a jam. That is a jam, man. I think Tyrone might be it, man, because it's it's just a jam, like you know what I'm saying. Like Tyrone's even, great, yeah. It's a, even it's a great when I, I heard it a couple weeks ago, I said like, that's that's a jam, and, and I mean she sang that live, right? It was just like the I think the version we hear is like she was at a show and just kind of sang it, and then it became one of her popular hits, man. What so is that's, man? I say I'm mad at myself now because I don't. What was the name of that song? It's it's uh, uh other side of the game. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, that that's first. The song. When that Erica Badu came out, that first joint, it was like this is this is all right. It really that album like, debut like, album, yeah. That's 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 hits, man. It's up there. Yeah, it, it don't it really it don't it don't miss. I mean, if I think about it, I'm probably just go back and look through it again. But like, you like can, next li- next lifetime is is that actually that's it. Cover that, that cover to cover. Head. You yeah. can listen. You can listen to the whole thing. Cover yeah, to cover. So, man, and then and then go get the live album, and then you can listen to it yeah. again. Live, and she's a very good singer. Live, yeah, it really yeah, is, really. Yeah, is. But she yeah. just again, I saw, I saw her two shows back to back. She was doing this weird alien thing. And I'm like, I'm out, I'm out, man. I well, I haven't seen it. that, but I saw, I saw the video uh, when she was at uh, at Daily Plaza in uh, in Dallas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank, banging. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, this this is like a very serious episode, but. I'm, I'm, I might put the title of that thing thing in. <laughs> <laughs> See, man, you're going to get me in trouble, guys. man. So you already in trouble, bro. Hey, that's what it is. Man. So, yeah. but hey, but I, ho- I hope you enjoy yourself on uh, on Sunday, my man. Yes, sir. And, and last thing before we get to Dr. Williams. So, you know, as I made a mistake, uh, so, you know, I, 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 bu- I buy my toothbrushes, I buy the soft ones, right? Okay. And so, you know, brushing my teeth, I was like, why does it feel so hard? It's like, you know, did I, is, is it not wet enough? Is it not, you know, phrasing? Is it, uh you know, not, not enough toothpaste on here? I was like, well, you know, maybe I'm sleepy, whatever. I look at the box. I bought medium toothbrushes, right? And I'm okay. thinking like, hold on. My teeth really hurt. Like, my mouth is, is, I think I rearranged my teeth somehow. And I'm trying to understand. With just a medium, with a medium brush? I'm trying to understand who uses a medium toothbrush. What kind of teeth do you have? Are you using a medium toothbrush? Don't tell me you use a medium toothbrush. Well, I use, I got man, I got the Sonic, you know. <laughs> okay, so, gotcha, gotcha. By the no. way, I highly recommend it. That's what. Yes, yeah, I'm gonna get one. I highly recommend. It. I thought I was gonna rip out my entire mouth with this medium toothbrush. And it's Here's like, the, dog, how'd I make this mistake? Here's the my deal. Goodness. I got, I got. Uh, I got complimented by my dentist mm. for my brushing. Wow. Your brushing is outstanding. And I, you know, it's all due to the Sonicare. Listen, man. So go I out just, and get one. Listen, the thing is this though, you know, clearly somebody uses this because you know they wouldn't make it if they if people didn't buy it. So I'm like, are people like who who are these folks? Uh, with I'm teeth? Play- 
before strong I enough. To, before I had the Sonic, I'm pretty sure I used medium brushes for, Bro, then, for my then teeth. You, you don't, then you don't have gums. You just got teeth. That, that's all I can say. <laughs> it gets sucked. No, no, you don't have gums. I just never noticed. I'm going to start looking now. Like, S doesn't have gums if you use a medium toothbrush. What are you talking about? All your enamel is just it been gone if you use a medium toothbrush. I mean, what are the... Wait, I've never... I know it's a soft... It, it's actually an extra soft. Okay. Then a soft... And then the stuff you shot, you clean your gym shoes with, <laughs> aka medium toothbrush. I feel like the extra soft wouldn't get off all the uh, all of the uh, uh, the plaque and, see, and everything see, on your teeth. Yeah. See, you didn't say the other part. You're just like outstanding brushing. But guess what? We can see all the way up your nose because you brush. <laughs> Everything away hey, with man. this medium I, toothbrush. I'm Get pretty sure the Sonic. I'm pretty sure my Sonic brushes are uh, are are medium. Hey, listen, medium toothbrushes should only be used to clean gym shoes. That's all I'm gonna say. So, I'm gonna put that there. <laughs> so if you if you got some joys, you'll keep them fresh. Hey. <laughs> a medium medium toothbrush be just fine. Hey, I've never felt prouder in my life than when the dentist said, you, your brushing's outstanding. Yeah, because that's because you yanking your whole tooth. <laughs> it's like you're brushing this whole tooth. <laughs> everything off. <laughs> yes, Louise. So again, today we got a special guest, Dr. Dwayne Williams. He's one of our favorite guests. Uh, I think our high rated show, highest rated show still to this day, right? Is, uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because today we're talking about a topic, environmental racism, you know, a term I recently learned last couple of weeks and Dr. Williams kind of expanded on that. So enjoy Dr. Williams around the world with world. Today I got my big brother, World, uh, Dr. Dwayne Williams. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic, baby boy. How you doing? I'm You're doing good, man. Now. Listen, I'm gonna say that, big boy. <laughs> hey, man, big boy I'm still your baby brother, man. Listen, it's always good to have you. It's been a minute since you've been on the pod, man. Really yep. appreciate you. Overdue. Hey, listen, you always teaching us something. I know you got something for us today. So before we get into it, man, what's you, what's you, what's you working on today? What you got going on, man? Well, I got a lot going on. I'm teaching. It's so funny. I'm teaching a a group of. Um, maybe just under 200 eighth graders about, you know, the, where the idea of racism comes from using Ibrahim's, mm. uh, um, you know, uh, Kendi's uh, book, um, you know, stamped. Um, and the subtitle I think is great, you know, racism, anti-racism and you, and it's targeted toward, you know, children in ages, you know, basically 12 and up. It's a really powerful book, well-written. It's a brilliant piece. And it's more importantly, it's a chance for young people to talk about uh, the ways that race and racism shapes and defines their life, their identity, those things. And I love how they talk about there are three things that when you're writing books for young people, you should do. The first one is to establish intimacy. That is using language to connect with them. Um, the second one is kind of establishing a sense of gratitude that, you know, what young people do is they give us a chance to talk about issues and, and then they're the fuel. They, they hope that they, they're, the, they're the thing that fuels the hope for a resolution. So the idea of gratitude is important. And then, you know, at the same time, you also have to be honest, right? That yeah. there's a there's a belief among some people that when you talk about racism or any challenges, 
that young people can't handle it. But the opposite is actually true. They can handle the truth far better than people who are older. Mm-hmm. They're less jaded. Um, they will will listen more carefully to people who have more experience if they feel that they're speaking credibly. They're speaking to their experiences in a way that resonates with them. And this book does a brilliant job of that. So it's great to talk about that. It's really good to talk about that. And always, you know, I'm training teachers to to uh, remedy inequality. That's really my life's calling. That, that at the end of the day, education is an act in democracy. And, you know, as I tell people, schools are not prisons. Prisons are not exercising freedom, but schools are. But freedom comes with the responsibility. So teachers need to understand that. Schools need to understand that. And as I tell people, parents need to understand that as well. So that's that's where I am these days. Gosh. And before we get to the heavy stuff, how you feel about them Bears this year, man? I mean, listen, let's, I let's am a little... Bear fan. <laughs> Every year we're going to the Super Bowl. I don't understand the concept. Come on, man. Not Come on. Where are... I always tell you all the time, stick with your home team. I'm from Chicago. I live in a place where the team is now called the Commanders. Commanders. I don't know what that means. But I don't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I care about is this. The Chicago Bears start the season. And until I'm proven otherwise, they're going to the Super Bowl. We're going to get a new stadium. We're going to get some more players. And if not <laughs> this year, we'll get them another year. Because it ain't, it ain't this year. Listen, sooner or later, everybody gets their chance to dance. Yeah. Okay? You get your chance in the sun. It's been since 1980. We, didn't, we won the Super Bowl in 1986. I don't care. I, I thought we were going to win in 87. I thought we were going to win in 97, <laughs> 07, 2017. We yeah. got a quarterback. I love all Chicago teams except one, the baseball team on the north side, which I'm yeah. not going to talk about. I'm going to talk about them. I like the sky, the fire. I like uh, anything that's Chicago. So now it's time for the Bears to bask in the light. I'm, I'm literally going to see the Washington football team, a.k.a. Commanders, play against the team from Wisconsin so I can root against them, okay? That's <laughs> what they to. play in October. I'm got really to. going to see them. So, Bears, baby. Yeah, Bear down. Okay? Yeah, I'm, not, of the midway. I'm not ready to see that team in Wisconsin because it's like they Soldier Field, their second home, man. They, no, they don't come worry on and get man. busy, man. But listen, I'm a historian. If you look at the historic record, it's still even. Okay, uh, we played them 102 times, and the record might be 50 and 52 one way to Don't yeah. worry about this. It, we, it yeah. always turns the tide. And I always say this. If Wisconsin was as great as they thought they were and Green Bay was as great as they thought they were, there'd be more people living in Green Bay and fewer in Chicago. Thanks. So I, I'm good. Okay, we Ain't both live by a body of water. Okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. City that works, baby. Yes. <laughs> I heard that a long time. Yes, sir. It works. Yes, I know. Sir. I got to bring you back. Okay. I heard that a long City time. of big shoulders. Oh, Go back man. there and read you some Carl Sandberg. You went to Williams College, man. Yes, they sir. Poetry up there. City oh, of big man. shoulders, baby. Come on. The city that works. Shout out. Shout I got to talk to you. I'm about to come home. I got. I'm about come to come on, man. Come on. Man. I'm lacking. I'm lacking. You're kind of slipping, man. You you kind of like you know not see, having the bare faithful. You got to bleed blue and orange. And, and see, you got to come back because we talked about it before I started recording the black camp for the kids. You know, so you got to put yeah. them out. Got to make sure they're. I'm gonna be the camp You gonna be camp counselor, man. Kids, right. I promise you, it'll be great. So, so now, man, you know, we got you on because again, you always enlighten us. Again, you are a doctor of historian of history, I'm supposed to say, of U.S. Yeah. history to African American history. And every time you're here, you kind of give us perspective about some things that's going on in our current structure and kind of and kind of tie it to what happened in the past and why it is the way it is now. Um, but you know, something something worth that I noticed: we're not talking about racism as much anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Talking about inflation and. Roe v. Wade and <clears throat> gas prices. Are we even talking about Trump again, right? And so, if right. The, you know, there was a point when I first started this podcast, right? The reason you were kind of on because 
we were talking about racism. It was a hot topic. Everybody wanted to learn and sit at the feet of people like you and see how they could be better and do better. Right, right. right. And black guys were really mattering. Oh, but they were really mattering, right? And so, like, you don't even hear that as much anymore, man. And so, you know, it's just always, that's always funny to me, you know, in the sarcastic way that it's hot for a minute. And people yeah. aren't talking about it, but you know, we are, we still live in a world where racism is affecting a lot of things and a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was there's a specific racism that I learned that I learned uh, heard the term for it. It's called environmental racism. And you know, I noticed I didn't know there was a term for, it, but I kind of noticed. I thought about it, thinking about I, I probably have seen it and experienced it myself, right? I always notice about how you know in Chicago you could be driving down Michigan Avenue or State Street. Certain part of that street is beautiful. It's affluent. Cities are nice. You know, it's big streets. Same, same street, a few blocks south. It's, it's a little dimmer. Lights not working, right? Not streets working. are a little tighter. Houses are tighter, right? Then you just you just think that's how it is. Um, you know, something I've always noticed how there are no garbage cans in a lot of black neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can walk, just walk for blocks, no garbage cans. You go to a more fluent neighborhood. Garbage can on every corner, right? You, every just, corner. you you just hold you hold on to it because you know it's a garbage can coming up, right? Yeah. Um, I've heard my dad tell me all kind of stories about how they, when the expressway, specifically like the Dan Ryan Expressway, oh. you know, went right through black neighborhoods. Yeah. And, and, you know, and you talked on a previous episode about when we talked, think it was about um, Tulsa, and you yep. were saying how that Tulsa wasn't the only type of black town that was, mm-hmm. right? And it was mm-hmm. other towns. In, in uh, I think it was north, north, in the western part of, of the western United States. Part, all the exodusters, all people who spread out and they went west. New, yeah. New Mexico, there's some great black towns in New Mexico, Arizona, Wyoming. You'd be very surprised. California, of course. So that whole western expansion. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. And so and so I, I looked up, I was listening to a podcast. I sent you the wrong one, but there's a podcast yeah. I heard about environmental racism. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's and I looked it up a bit. So I just wanted to read these definitions to kind of get your thought just about it and okay. examples that we've seen and maybe some ways we can at least call it out, right? Because it seems like some of this stuff is a long plan. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the definition I saw from the Wikipedia was a concept uh, in environmental justice movement addresses the unfair exposure of poor and marginalized communities to harms associated with resource extraction, yeah. hazardous waste, and other land uses. It was influenced by the civil rights movement. Um, and it emphasizes inequalities between urban and exurban areas after white flight. This term was coined by Ben Chavis in 1982 when he yeah. addressed the hazardous waste in North Carolina. His definition was racial discrimination in environmental policy making, the enforcement of regulations, laws, the deliberate targeting of communities of color for toxic waste facilities, the official sanctioning of the life threatening presence of poisons and pollutants in our communities, and the history of excluding people of color from the leadership of ecology. Movement. So there were four factors to environmental racism. Yeah. Lack of affordable land, lack of political power, lack of mobility, and poverty. And so, like, that sounds like a lot of <laughs> neighborhoods with people of color in it, man. You better and, believe it. And, is. and, and, and it's so, like, one, they start, one factor is like corporations buy cheap land to do, <clears throat> to have these businesses, which are usually in poor neighborhoods. So, a lot of it, it seems like a lot of it stems from, you know, they want to take advantage of a, a certain neighborhood. They don't care who lives there because they're going to make more money from it. So I just wanted to kind of give that context to people is what we're talking about today. You're going to make a point about environmental racism and, and your thoughts on it. I think the most important thing is this. Any kind of racism that we're talking about has to be juxtaposed against the systemic and structural barriers that undermine the citizenship 
of people of color, specifically black people in this instance, okay? But it's, it's true in Latino communities, any place where people are marginalized, uh, we're talking about who gets access to resources, right? So the reason, like you, you, you started out talking about how there's a shift in, in a kind of national narrative of what's important, guess what? Inflation always disproportionately impacts black people and brown people and poor people, okay? You talk about the issue about reproductive rights, guess what? That is as much about about healthcare, racism, as, the, as anything else. Who get who controls the bodies of black women and brown women and poor women? Okay, mm-hmm. so th- that's a form of racism and sexism and patriarchy. That's for another show. Sure. Okay? But for this show, what we're talking about is how does the environment, the available resources in the community, get disproportionately dominated in a way that put people at advantage. The two examples that should resonate with anybody who's listening to this podcast today are one, look at what's happening in Mississippi. Look at who's getting, uh, as the as the infrastructure, the water system in Jackson gets overwhelmed. Those are black people. Mm. Those are poor people. Okay, Jackson is led by an African-American. It, but, but it's not the failure of black leadership that causes that problem. Okay, sewage and those kind of things. Look at Flint. Okay, so issues about water. Then when you look at okay, let's let's look at where um, you know in our hometown of Chicago. If you drive along that that Bishop Ford Highway and you see those mounds mm-hmm. there, okay, why are the mounds of that waste in that part of the, of town? Why were they put there? There's no other place they could have been they could have been placed because there are black people there, there are brown people there, there are poor people there. Environmental racism is at a, a level still about again an exercise in white supremacy in which black people and more broadly people of color are put in advantage because of how resources get taken away or how how the communities that live near and abut those resources get put in peril. All right. The lives of black people, the water they drink, the food that they eat or don't eat, the the access to trees and roads, all that space. Right. It's what I would call the perfect intersection between race, place and space. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's the that, you know, we talk about intersectionality. Environmental racism hits that on the head. Right. It's about who. Right. Black people. Where. Okay, and then what are the spaces? The spaces that will put them at an advantage. You don't have access to land. You don't have access to infrastructure. You don't have access to water. You don't have access to food. And then when it's time to figure out where we should put it, we put it in those places where they're going to be. Because again, where would the garbage go? Where would the waste go? Okay, that's true. In, in and that's that's not in urban spaces. When you look at environmental racism, you have to look at the tension between the urban spaces that black people occupy, the Chicago's, the Milwaukee's, the Oakland's, you know, you, you name it. And look at the rural areas where our parents and our grandparents come from. In those spaces, you're still seeing that those are the places where the garbage is dumped, the waste is dumped, the um, toxic uh, chemicals are dumped. That's not by accident. It's not, I don't believe in boogeyman racism. I always believe that there's an intentionality and there is um, a kind of what I call irrational logic to white supremacy, which is it makes people do things that they know are wrong and they try to justify them. But it's always about the fact of who gets access to resources, who doesn't, and what's the cost of that. Yeah. And what we're talking about are real impact on black lives. So black lives may, may matter less in the popular imagination in 2022, but black lives have always mattered in the same way, like the urgency around 
uh, environmental racism is the same racism that goes with the economic issues that impact us, the political issues, the healthcare inequalities. I mean, yeah. to me, separating them out uh, kind of diffuses the reality of why we, we, we fight so hard against those kind of structural, um, you know, uh, attempts to, to me, dehumanize uh, black people. And when I say dehumanize them, I mean, you're basically saying you're less because you would never have this in your community. And it's okay if the lives of children, of families are put in peril because it doesn't cost them anything, right? right? So you can't remedy inequality unless you acknowledge that there's an inequality that exists. Right. Yeah, it almost feels like it's, it's these level of traps, right? If if you got the education system, you know, the poor education system in your neighborhood, you know, you escape the the, the lack of policing or or, or, or you know, drug infestations right, we put right, in right. there. You escape all that. We still gonna, we still gonna get you with your. That's all good. Sorry, it's all good. We still gonna get you. We still gonna get you with your health, right? You know, we we right. gonna get you one, one way or another, man. That's, that's how it feels to see your point. You can't it, it, you can't tease yeah, out all the same block. On multiple ways, right? So again. You you could live in a middle class neighborhood, a working class neighborhood, uh, a traditionally you know uh, what people say an impoverished neighborhood, but you're still at a disadvantage. I can say here in the D.C. area, in the Prince George's County, which has been you know recognized as the most affluent Black county in America, yeah. and have the same type of environmental racism uh, that's there. Uh, mm -hmm. Land issues, uh, issues around water, issues around infrastructure. Now, these are people where you have two family households where it's very common where both both parents are making six figures. They're still managing the same issues. Those are people who've migrated from the city of Washington D.C. to be in, you know, Prince George's County, all right, or surrounding counties, and they're still encountering these same issues That's because that right there tells you how how the idea of racism permeates the lives of black people. So you may have the economic resources to su supposedly survive and create space, but there's always a paucity of resources, always a lack of support, always a lack of instruction that put you and your family at a disadvantage, right? Making your family less safe from an environmental standpoint. And remember, the, the climate crisis is real, right? So despite what people say, but like everything else, we can document how it disproportionately impacts the lives uh, of black people and uh, other people of color. We can we can document that. There's a great book called The History of Environmental Racism in the United States. Okay, that book is called Clean and White. Okay, Clean and White: A History of Environmental Racism in the United States. You have to look at that book. It gives you. It lays out right the kind of a narrative history of how these social issues get framed and impacted and, and are directed toward different black communities. There's a real history, all right? This isn't some kind of like, again, boogeyman that jumped out and said, oh, we're gonna stop giving black people access to water or food or land or whatever. Nope. And so, yes, does it matter who's leading the environmental movement? Of course, like every other movement, representation matters because we're asking a set of questions about, hey, are you asking about the infrastructure in those communities? I, I think State Street is a, a, a classic example of that. Depending on where you are on State Street, you're experiencing a very different Chicago, right? We know, we know that. We know that those streets that cut through our city, as an example, depending on where you are on that, on that continuum, yeah, tells you a lot about the whole you know, what you're experiencing. The idea of the garbage can, the water, the infrastructure, the street lights, um, the food deserts or lack thereof, all those things are in play. So 
you know, it's a book for you to look at. It's a book that if you needed one book, it's a good place to start. There's really a lot of great literature about environmental racism. But the bottom line is, if I had to give it what I call my history haiku, what's the simplest way to say it in the shortest, shortest, fewest words? Environmental racism is, again, about who gets access to resources and what are the consequences for those people who fail to get access. Okay. So yeah, so because I because as you're talking, I'm, I'm just thinking like you know, and I'm maybe I'm telling on myself. It's fine. I made my producer edit if I have to. But it's like when we see a you know a tragedy with uh, something like with the police killing another unarmed black person, person of color, right? And oh. that rightfully so, right? We're up in arms. We are protesting. We are out and about. We speaking about it. Every you know, we can't move a block. Every podcast talking about right. it. Right. But like Flint, Michigan is. That water crisis has been happening for years, yeah. right? And it's like somebody has to post. Don't forget about Flint, right? Right. Like don't don't forget. And like with Jackson, it's like man, this messed up. What's happening, Jackson? Right. Mean, and, 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 and that's kind of it. So I wonder, like, what is it? Because that's like you know, sometimes it's a, inherently, you know, I can, I can, I can actively get mad about a person being shot and killed, right? That I, that's a Joe reaction, but like a water crisis, which probably should garner the same type of attention and like a roar, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't move us. Why do you think that's the case? I think because the focal point of our organizing efforts have been around political issues rightly, you know, not rightly so, understandably so, right? The access, because our modern phase of the civil rights movement, anything from post-World War II, if you want to call it from 1954, you can, you can put your... You can plant your hat any way you want to. You want to put it in post-World War II. You want to put it in Emmett Till. You want to put it in 68. All of those moments are about expanding African-American citizenship to match the constitutional rights that come with it, right? But people are so busy getting those rights that they forget there are other things that impact the lives of Black people. So it's only recent that we see, excuse me, a push for challenges about healthcare inequalities challenges about environmental uh, inequalities. And for some people, they'll say, hey, listen, we need to get these basic rights so we can pivot toward those other broader issues. I've always argued that it's not either or, it's both and, because those factors impact your ability to exercise your, your citizenship. I mean, last week, the New York Times did a, a piece about how the life expectancy of Black people has greatly diminished during this current pandemic, right? That's a healthcare crisis. And if you look at that story, you're like, wait a minute, the life, the life expectancy of Black people has decreased by two or four years in this two-year pandemic, that's consequential. That's a reflection of economics, healthcare, the environments that they live in, right? We just don't put it that way. So part of it is the phrasing, part of it is the focus of our political effort. We have rightly, I, I still think, fought for those basic human rights that come with being citizenship, voting, and uh, housing, and those issues. But if you vote, and you exercise your political right, and you're able to live in certain places, notwithstanding redlining and segregation, but when you get there, you're still killed by the things around you, or there's no hospital around there, you know, then, then, then racism and white supremacy has been successful. It's just trying to get it back to its intention, which is always to diminish your humanity. I don't care what anyone says. You can make it fancy you want to. Environmental racism is just a way of diminishing the humanity of Black people. And Black people are fighting vigorously, but they're fighting on multiple fronts. And that's, that, that ends up having the, dissipating the energy that comes with that. So now, redlining, is, you, you mentioned that a bit, and that's something that a lot of Chicagoans know about. 
Hmm. Uh, but could you just explain it to people who maybe are not from Chicago or you know maybe not have never heard, then, listen, heard the term redlining? Uh, a ton of research on it, but redlining is when you when you decide you're going to target and quote unquote redline certain communities and limit where 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 particular races of people can live or not live, right? Well, who's going to get access to bank loans, resources? Who's going to be able to rent or not rent? I always tell people um, if you look at our, our fellow Chicagoan, uh, the poet uh, who wrote. Um, you know the great play, uh, Lorraine Hansberry's play. It's about redlining, right? It, it's a it's a it's a play about redlining. It's about the fact that this particular black family wants to move to a part of Chicago that is outside the boundaries that black people live, right? And they have the resources to do it. The father dies, they have the resources to do it. But hey, uh, you know we all know there was a point in Chicago where you can only go so far east, you can only go so far west, and then. We can look at our own, just our own personal experience as family. I mean, there was a time when you couldn't live in Beverly. Now you can live in Beverly. Okay, but when I was growing up, Beverly was, it was the other side of the moon, right? It was it was at the edge of it. But, you know, you go too far in Beverly, things get a little tricky. And you, okay? you, you drive through Beverly and see the big You houses. drive through Beverly, you see the great houses, but you didn't think, man, this is a really great a housing stock, I could get a loan, buy a house, and whatever, and then suddenly that expanded, right? So that that line expanded. So that's just a zone. It's just a way of, it's like any other kind of zone. It's an economic zone that limits the possibilities of what people can do. Mm. And Chicago, look, we're the, I've argued we're the most segregated city, we're the most racist city. We when we do stuff, we do it big. We do it like we do it like <laughs> I did this pizza. We don't do anything flat, baby. We do it big. And so. You name a you name a structural barrier, and and we either invented it or perfected it or expanded it. That's what we do, okay. Um, and so yeah, but I would say, man, that's so much to say about uh, about housing and, and housing yeah. segregation. There's some great books that have written about that. Yeah, because because you know because that speaks to the point. You know, like you and I kind of talked about this early before we started recording, just how you know there are some races of people that kind of say well black folks just need to work hard or pull up by their bootstraps <laughs> right because it's like they'll say my people came over with nothing mm -hmm. in the bag and now look we are multi-millionaires but like you just laid out just one example in one right. city of how it was purposely told that these people right can only live here can only mm -hmm. do it here and won't have access to certain things right they won't they won't have access to um you know bank loans uh things that they help them buy them home that can then the things that, that make that, your life Listen, that make your life that lead to that lead to money down the line yeah generational wealth you need uh you need you need resources all right you can work hard you know you can be a two from a two family two two income family or have the resources whatever life you're trying to have what we know is that in other communities People are getting access to capital. I always got the proverbial argument of where's their tension between people from what I call West Asia or Egyptian and, and Middle East uh, friends. Why do they why do they have um, you know stores in our communities? That's the place they could get resource. That's the place they could get capital to, to buy those things, and that uh, black entrepreneurs weren't getting access to that. We we know that's the case, right? Uh, if you're living in parts of L.A. or other parts of the country, even the United States, uh, uh, even in Chicago. Who's getting access to capital to take on these entrepreneurial ventures? Who's willing to provide the risk? And the places where black entrepreneurs have been able to get those access, they've been able to have some success. 
right? But if it's limited, we'll loan you money for a bar, but not for a restaurant. We'll loan you money for, you know, a, a church. Store. We're yeah. not going to give you money to actually have things that might, you know, exponentiate or, you know, create some real economic development in the community. That, that's a genuine limit, right? And, and, and so, but I will say this, but blacks, black communities all across the country have been very creative. It's okay, we'll start our own bank then, you know, and that's how we responded. But but others didn't have to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So that that's a, that's a step. And remember, think about white supremacy. The thing about racism, think about environmental racism is people profit from that prejudice. And I've been trying to say this for a long time. People profit from the prejudice. So it isn't that it's just innocuous. You can pull yourself out of bootstraps. It's that some people are profiting from that prejudice about mm -hmm. by limiting who who lives where. Okay, if I'm if I'm prevented from living someplace. It isn't that that space is empty; is that somebody else is occupying it? Uh, yeah, 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 right? can get it. If I'm if I'm not living in a certain place, then the cultural institutions that I create—the churches, the social groups, the basketball, the soccer, the baseball, the music—they're limited in those places, right? There's a reason in Chicago that you know the sights and sounds of our city are located in the northwest side or along the uh, you know along the, the shore. Those are along the Gold Coast. Those are the places where people is not that it's beautiful there is that other clubs and other other variations could exist. But when you can't keep the water tower open and a magnificent mile open, that's telling you something. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's not being filled by black people. Those spaces, those empty spaces aren't being filled up by black businesses. Right. They are not because that's not a space where people can imagine that black people can be successful. No, that's economic racism. That's not environmental racism, but it's yes. still the same thing. It's still the same structure. Guess what I'm saying? But it seems like the other side of that too is right. You know, so say they they confine us to our own space. You know, all right, we're not giving these resources. This is where you're going to be, a la uh, Black Wall Street, Tulsa, right? When right. it starts, when it, or the other cities that you've named before, uh, right. you know, in a, in, a, in a previous pod. So go back, check out the old pods, guys. Yeah, go uh, back, go back, check it <laughs> go out. back, dig in the crates. We gave it to you. They, we we show Diggy the game. So, but it's like now you see it happens. We 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 make something out of nothing. We make chitlins. You know, we do what we got to do. Right. And then once it's popping, then it's like, oh wait, we got to pull the plug on that, right? right. That that and so and like it's even now, right? Because you know, it poses a threat, right? You can't yeah. have it. Here's the thing. The thing about any kind of racism is it relies on the myth that the group that's being targeted undermined in this case we'll say for the sake of conversation black people um that if we can demonstrate that they're inferior then we can justify our um the way our treatment right if we use the language if we use the the lack of success we can say well there's never been a um, a successful business in this area, right? But but the moment that there that someone breaks that mold, then it destabilizes the the ideology that supports the notion that we should deny them this access, we should treat them in this way. So the treatment is based on this notion that this myth that black people there's something inferior about black people, there's something that is inferior about um, what they might bring to the table. And that's why we're doing it, right? That's why we're doing it. You know, uh, it isn't that we're stopping them; it's that if we gave them an opportunity, they wouldn't be as successful. So we look. So that's what it is. But we know that's not the case because time and time again, when we find the exception, then the rules shift, 
the ground is not as flat, the playing field is not as clear, the, you know, they're not, people aren't transparent, explicit, and consistent about how they interpret those things. And so we just move the goalposts. We move the goalposts, you know? So I know, so we were talking a lot about it. So how, how are some ways we can fight against it? Like, I mean, I guess from a historical perspective, like what have you seen, how, how people fought against it? And I guess what, what can we learn from that to fight against environmental racism? Because again, every time I see the water, like the water crisis, that, that, because, you know, I, I remember times when like a water heater went out or whatever, right? right Sharon right, took a shower right. too long and the water, water was too cold. Shout out to Sharon. And it was like, we had, we had to heat up water on the stove, right? And then you had to, it's like, you had to pour it in, you know what I mean? It's like, I remember, I remember that. So it's like, like that's just because the water heater went out. Imagine the water is brown. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's like, to yes, your point- we, to, That raw sewage coming up. Yeah. That, and, and, uh, people can't drink the water. Listen, I, I think in any case, I'm all, oh, look, I'm a social historian. I was trained by a labor historian, Peter Radcliffe, who always told me that at the end of the day, the things you have to do are one, first you have to organize, and two, you have to be, make sure that people are organized and galvanized around a, a, a specific thing. What's the consensus? What are the things we can agree on? What do we as a community want to prioritize? We want to dismantle racism. We want to dismantle white supremacy. How are we going to dismantle? What are what are the, what are the, what are the angles in which we're going to attack it? Are we going to deploy um, the different social organizations, often spearheaded by Black women, to uh, be the people who are going to spearhead our effort around schools? Are we going to let uh, young people be the uh, ones who spearhead the issues around environmental racism? So it's, it has to be a multi-pronged attack in which we talk about what the priorities are, and then we invite our allies to say, hey, if you want to help us, there are ways you can help us. You can provide us with financial resources. You can help us and help us sustain organizations in which black leadership builds the capacity to be able to voice, articulate, and prioritize the direction that we want to go based on the conversations, based on the things we're hearing from the community. And what often happens is that something gets prioritized that's not a priority for the community. And so for me, and I say community, I should say communities, because of course we're talking about there's no one black community in the communities across the country, whether it's North Minneapolis, West side of Chicago, Oakland, you want to name the, you know, Atlanta, any place, these communities have priorities. And whatever is the solution, whatever is the focus of the effort, that has to be a conversation that comes directly from an ongoing discourse in the community about what do we want to prioritize? And what happens is the hard part of organizing is not that the issues can't get people's attention, it's what does it take, what is the cost of sustaining it? And when people say, man, it's really hard and those kind of things, I'll say this, you can't tweet enough, you can't put things on the gram enough. You can't do enough TikTok videos to dismantle racism. It always often requires boots on the ground. It requires uh, a sharp spear of effort to get the result that we want. Now those things help. Social media is a resource. All of them are tools. They're not toys. And when that tool is harnessed in relationship to organizing, we get the results. We can see the change. But if we only, if people are, if people are only hashtagging and they're only uh, actually tweeting and posting things in different social media, the counterweight will just, you know, the the uh, the anti or resistance to that will just, you know, have a debate about yes, no, the water's good, it's not as bad, whatever. When you have people on the ground saying we in this community of Flint want the most important thing to be clean water. 
We want to make that the top priority. And once we have that, that's the stepping stone. So we don't get, we don't settle on water or schools or roads. We say, how are we going to prioritize them? And we, and we invite, insist, train and prepare people within our community to say, this is what is required, Rob, Robert. This is what's required, Dwayne, to get this clean water that you want. And you know, once you have that, then the next thing you do is the next thing. Okay. And that takes a lot of effort. That's why those people who are organizers, the people who we call our heroes and our heroines, we love them so much because they sustain the effort. Okay. It isn't just the famous people. It's, I always tell people, there are a whole lot of people on that bridge in Selma. We don't know most of them, but guess what? It's those people that sustain the results that we got. And we can do it politically. We can do it when it comes to environment. We can do it on any topic, but we still need to be able to say, honestly, how do we want to prioritize? Right? And that doesn't have to be like one person. We don't have to have the great woman or the great man. We just need to have a place that we can have a make public uh, what the priorities are and how we want to prioritize them. So I want to bring up a word that, you know, might make it a hot take or what have you, but okay. gentrification, right? How does yeah. that how does that play into environmental racism? Because as, as we were talking about it, and I was thinking about it, we talked about it from a from one way, like, right? It's like we are limiting people right from access to to you know resources that will help their communities be better and, and, and better livable right and gentrification right we know what that is by definition it's pretty yeah. much taking these poor neighborhoods and making them better and the question is always why couldn't you do that for the people who were already there like why couldn't you build these nice schools and nice stores and nice whatever mm-hmm. so well, i forgot how i want to ask it i guess i'll just say it all right is gentrification a form of environmental racism? Absolutely. Okay. Listen, I live here in Washington, D.C., in the Washington, D.C. area. And we're talking about the current crisis around rents and around housing. But this has been an ongoing decade-long, over a decade-long shift, okay? Again, who gets access to the resources of the community? Yeah. It starts with schools. And then you see where the development is. And you see people who've been in those long-standing communities. And gentrification is a process like, process like anything else. It is driven by the economics. But it is always framed within the context of this American idea of racism and white supremacy, which is we're willing to improve things. We just don't want you to benefit from the improvement. Mm-hmm. Okay? We're willing to uh, get the schools better. But we're going to have to make you shift. We're going to make you move. We're going to make it so untenable, bad. right? Yeah. We're going we're gonna to put the, the infrastructure in place, whether that's the public, you know, public infrastructure, whether it is the, the schools, whether it's the housing. And then we're going to say, hey, we are going to then make it difficult for you to live in a place. The number of people who are paying three and four thousand dollars for rent, who are paying two and three thousand dollars for rent, the the lack of rent control, the lack of things that allow people to live in communities and then make it untenable, and then not put policies in place. Right? You don't have mixed housing. You just say, "Hey, look, we want to have uh, you know our housing stock is down, and we have a developer wants to come in, and the developer says, "Hey, I've invested these multi million dollars in this infrastructure. I want to be able to pay the rent that I want to pay," and they'll say, "Hey, we're going to set aside five or ten percent." And then you realize it's always the crappiest apartment. It's always the one that's in the basement, the one that no one wants. And it's, it's never enough. And then they say things like, we didn't push those people out. We built them a new building. We raised the rent to cover the cost. And now you can't stay in the communities, um, you know, uh, in D.C., the Petworks, the Shaw's, places around Howard University that once you would have never seen a white person. And now it's like you 
only black people see are the students at Howard, but but you know that the, the community around Howard University was a true black community. It was an affluent community. The Ralph Bunches, the most affluent um, you know, African American scholars lived in those communities. And now they couldn't live in those communities if they wanted to. It's right. just too expensive. So that so it's a form of environmental and economic racism because that's a policy decision. You don't actually have to only address the housing crisis by only having housing that will make it untenable for the locals to live there. And you shouldn't be okay with it. It isn't just the economic consequences, it's the cultural consequences. In DC, the places where music takes place or doesn't take place, right? Yeah. The global music scene was in those black communities, the clubs, the spaces. Well, if they can't afford the rents, where do they go? They leave the, they leave the city, they go other places. Everybody's city goes through it, it seems like, right? Spike Lee, yeah, talks about that very a lot in Brooklyn. You know, we talk about a lot in Chicago. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. I went to Ignatius and that's on road. That just probably means a lot of people who live in Roosevelt Road was nothing. It is like it is like probably the best one of the best trips in the city now. Listen, you know what I mean, I'm from the West Side of Chicago. I grew up on there. I grew up going to Maxwell Street, and I tell people all the time, I have to take a double take. The landscape. Are you kidding me? Around yeah. Ignatius, I'm thinking. I mean, I went, I caught the number 12 bus there so many times, and now I'm like, wow, I, I, I couldn't live there. Like, I, I couldn't afford to live in a part of, of Chicago where I spent a lot of my formative, you know, years. Yeah, but it's, yeah. Always, but it's always surprising to me, like, okay, so for folks who are not from Chicago, right, it's, uh, so Bronzeville is a neighborhood that is, yeah. you know, historically uh, a black neighborhood, right? Right. And it's supposed right. to be this revitalization, you know what I'm saying, they're going through some downtimes, but right. as always, we want to bring it back up. But now they can build South Loop, boom, out of nowhere. West Loop, pow, out of nowhere. Bronzeville is not as big as West Loop and South Loop. Nope. Right? Nope. But it seems like it's always just about to get off the ground. Which I okay, because now the more we talk, right? I think right. I think I think the way we've been talking about it probably hasn't been correct. Like you know, environmental racism, like looking at it this way now, okay, probably is the words we need to use because there's no reason why Bronzeville doesn't, you know, doesn't pop right the way it should, like South Loop, West Loop, yada yada yada. But like you said, who are going to be benefiting from all these additional resources and yada, 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 right? The South Loop, West Loop, that's a different clientele, if you will, of people and places and things that will then benefit from a revitalized neighborhood. So again, I I never thought about it until we literally started talking about it. Just like, because it it was all, I guess I thought it was always an us problem. Like, man, we can't get bronze off the ground. And maybe it's never never been an us problem, right? It's like, what do we have access to? It's, it might be a we problem, but it's not an us problem, uh-huh, and, you yeah. know, and, and, and my issue is always the same, you know, who benefits, who profits from that presence, what's, what, why would someone invest in doing things differently when doing it the way it's been done gets them the result they want, okay? And some people, it's not a big boogeyman conspiracy. Some people are comfortable with the fact that, that black people can be second-class citizens. They've just settled into that. They've bought into their ideology. They've bought into that stamp, that birth uh, notion about racial ideologies that say black people just, you know, I, every time I every time I get a chance, I always introduce this this phrase. It's from the writer Ed P. Jones, who wrote a great, you know, the great American writer. He wrote a book, a series of short stories called Lost in the City. And Ed P. Jones always says this: We are worthy of each other. Mm. The problem is that everyone doesn't agree with that that sentiment. Okay. There is, and, we, and when I say doesn't agree with that sentiment, I mean it translates into policy. You ask them objectively, 
Yes. When you see how the policies play out, housing, economic, education, environmental, um, you know, policies in with the result of that of that distance, that strata, that unequal, that unjust, that injustice always being on the backs and the shoulders of black women, black men, their families and their children, their institutions. That means you don't think that black people are worthy. You don't believe in Ed P. Jones' idea that we are worthy of each other. So environmental racism is about, do you believe that black people are worthy of living in a world where they can breathe the air that will keep them as safe as you, will drink the water as safe as you, can you know live in places where the infrastructure of their life, they can live in places where they get access to capital, you know, where they won't be prevented from or be pushed out of their historic communities. I mean, I mean, I lived on 12th Street on that Roosevelt Road. I went along that road many, many times. And to look at it and to say, you know what? I couldn't live around the University of Illinois, uh, UIC anymore. I couldn't live anywhere in that area. I-, I wouldn't be able to afford it. And to know what it looked like when you were in high school. I mean, that's not that long ago from a historical standpoint. And, and, and the issue I would tell you is this. This whole conversation is about what I, always, what I always ask people, why are you okay with that? Why are you okay with, why are you okay with creating a space, a world, a city, a neighborhood in which you treat other people as if they're not worthy? Like, why are you okay with that? And I tell that to people who identify themselves as Christians, who believe in the Judeo-Christian ethic. Where, where, where is your, where does your, your social and your, and your, your spiritual line up with the policies that you see there? Right. And when it's when it's misaligned, you have an affirmative obligation to act. You shouldn't say we shouldn't be hashtagging Flint in 2022 because we shouldn't be okay with it. No way. But no matter what we say, we're okay with it because guess what? We see that problem in Flint. Well, that's Michigan. And you go straight down and you look in Mississippi. It's the problem. Well, what's the common denominator? It's black people. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that does that mean that? there's the evil empire white race white supremacy it means the white supremacy manifests itself in the lives of black people wherever they are that's the thing you can go anyplace it's not like you can escape you could have been you know there are people in 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 flint who clearly have roots in mississippi and vice versa but they're facing the same problems so if you migrated from Baltimore, tennessee or grenada mississippi or Dolan, alabama like our families did and you run into the same problems then the purpose of your departure, your migration, your diaspora has been defeated because no matter where you go, people do not think you're worthy. That's the problem. That's that's actually the problem. That's racism in a nutshell. You either believe we're worthy or we're not. And policy suggests that you don't think we're worthy. Well, I appreciate you as always, bro. Because uh, again, I think this is something that we had to talk about. And think about differently, right? Because I think this is the most I've ever talked about Flint. You know, Jackson, Mississippi is, is the newer part in the news. But again, yeah. I, I, I mean, I feel bad, right? Because I've had two years of police brutality and Black Lives Matter, but I've yet to talk about like water. And that's, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's like, to your point, that's something we have to think about. I like what you said. That's going to be the title of the episode. It's not an us problem. It's a we problem. Because I think problem. I agree with we you problem. there, man, for sure. When you put your podcast on, you got to put on uh, Sam Cook, you know, water, 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 water. And it came out from the well, man. You know, Jesus gave me water. I mean, there's so much stuff. We got so many Chicago sounds we can put with that conversation. Yeah. But they're all the same. Again, 
over and over, stay on message. We are worthy and we're going to act like we were. We're going to organize ourselves and prioritize ourselves in a way that underscores that. And we're not going to let ourselves, anybody else get off the hook. We're going to keep talking about it and we're going to ask those questions. Like, why are you okay with that? Well, I'm not. Okay, so then what is our next step? How are we going to have that conversation? We have the tools. we got the platform uh, in this podcast to do that. And we just have to expand our repertoire of things that we want to talk about and things we want to prioritize or and things we want to bring light to and, and challenge the people that, that hear us, to speak to us and engage with us to, like you say, think differently about it. And if we make it a we problem and not a us problem, then we actually, that's, that would be, that, I would consider that to be a triumph. Because most people, most people see, oh, that's Flint over there, or that's Mississippi, but they don't see themselves in the equation. And again, I always ask people, where are you in the equation? Yeah. You're yeah. seeing it. Where? Put yourself in the equation. Don't turn away. Don't don't avert your eyes. Put yourself in the equation, and then ask, what can I do? Yeah. And then do something. I hear that, man. And you gave us you always leave us with a book. So you gave us Clean and White. That was the one book I'm looking yep. for real yep. quick. You absolutely have to have that one. And um, I would say, because you, you brought up and infused redlining because you're a true Chicagoan, yes, the color of law, forgotten history of how our government segregated America. You got to have that one. So you're going to be mad. That book is literally sitting on my bookshelf. I ain't picked it up yet. Color of law. <laughs> I look at yeah. <laughs> You got such a look of disgust. Come on, bro. I don't have a look of disgust. <laughs> I would say I have a look of hope. I'm okay. hopeful that, that it got out of the show. bookstore and got to your house. Remember what I told you? You did. You if it's, hanging, it's lying around it. If it's lying around there, I'll touch it. Yeah. Yeah. You want to get your kids to read stuff? You know, one way to do it is to put it in the space and they eventually pick it up. But if they're not in the space where they can pick it up, they never pick it up. That's why the Ebony's and the Essence, that's why uh, the Source magazine, all the stuff we have, eventually they pick it up and guess what? Oh, I, heard, I read this article. Oh, I heard this music. We get in the car with our parents and we listen to all kind of music. Guess what? It's the same concept. So yeah. the color laws in your house, but guess what? The gospel music we listen to, the blues, the hip hop, the whatever it is we listen to, the R&B, we got exposure to it. That's how we. That's how it permeates us. That's why we still listen to it. But if we never get exposure to it, we can always tell who was not listening or did or, or, or didn't listen in the car with their parents to certain music because they don't know those sights and those sounds. Mm -hmm. But our children do. So it's the same concept. Saturate your children with the literature that you want them to have, the ideas you want them to be exposed to. And more, more, more times than not, they will turn to it. Even if they ask you, what's that book? Because it has a really colorful, you know, color law has a really good cover. So yeah. it gets your attention. And yeah. that's a good place to start. And remember, reading a book does not mean reading it cover to cover. If you read the introduction and the preface in one chapter, it's going to put you further along the continuum of your understanding. And if you get out of the bookstore into your house, you're there. Exactly. So I, I'm going to give you a, a C plus, a solid C plus. But because you you kind of person needs to be a Rhodes Scholar, you need to get to an A level. <laughs> you know me well, bro. So listen, the cut, yeah. the cut. So the recommendations from Doctor Williams: The Color of Law, Richard Rothstein, and Clean and White by Carl A. Zimring. Yeah, bro, I appreciate you today. Again, you're always teaching us something, man. You know, we, we are your students for these 45 minutes or so. So I appreciate you as always. Anything you want to leave us with? Anything you're working nope. on you want to check out? Love, 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 love. I'm working on a, I'm actually working on a book of poetry. I'm going to try to see if I can come out in March. So maybe I'll use your podcast to, uh, to hey, launch man. it. Hey, man, uh, we, owe you, we owe you one. So whenever, whenever you're ready, man, we ready.
Okay. Well, good. That's good. Look, it's good to even have a taste of the home. This is going. This conversation we've just had is going to literally carry me through the week. I always need just a little infusion of Chicago. Um, you know, I think it it reminds me that no matter where I am, I'm always a Chicagoan. Amen. I don't care. I'm. I am a Chicago kid. I'm a Chicago kid. That's who I am. That's, That's my roots. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. So, you know, this conversation is good. So I owe you a, a, a really a, a debt of gratitude of just giving me a burst of Chicago. Anytime you call me, I'm always going to say yes because I'm like, I'm the black Dorothy. There's no place like home. I'm going to click my heels, man. I want to be there in Chicago. That's why I try to spread my requests out. You know what I'm saying? Just so it's like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Well, I got the guy that I did. We can talk to you, go. Anytime you want, I'm going to say yes. So Appreciate it's always you. good. Appreciate you, bro. Listen, man. That's great. Good, man. Be safe, man. I love you, bro. I love you back. Talk to you soon, man. Right, man. Bye right. for now. I always want to thank my brother, Dr. Williams, for blessing us with some knowledge and making fun of me about the books that I'm not reading. Uh, sorry about that world. Uh, <laughs> I got it on my bookshelf. I promise I'm going to crack it open before the year is out. But, uh, you know, I hope you learned something. As always, I appreciate Dr. Williams for taking the time to join the STP. He's a busy man, I'm sure. A lot of people are asking for his time and attention, but, you know, that's, that's what happens when he's your big brother. He comes through when you need him. So make sure you follow, check out the books that he, he mentioned, The Color of Law and uh, Clean and White. Uh, we put some of that information in the show notes for you guys so you can uh, get the books yourselves. One more thing is I want to talk about. Uh, so today is a special day for me. And it's September 7th. I talked about this in one of our early episodes. So you guys hear me talk about the triplets all the time. Love the triplets. Love them, love them, love them. That's the gang. Chipmunkin'. Um, but before there were three, there were two. And the names were Madison and Jackson. And today was their birthday and also the same day that they passed. And, you know, it would have been 12 years old today. And as I think about it, man, you know, that was a, a lifetime ago. It seemed like so much happened. And I've said this before, you know, many different spaces. But, you know, when bad things happen, you always wonder, like, why me? Why this happened? Yada, yada, yada. And when I lost him is I knew it was like, this is not the end. This is for something. It has to be because this is too crazy. And, uh, you know, people mourn in different ways and people memorialize things different ways. And what that experience did for me is, is made me try to be the best that I can be for the triplets. You know, people always ask, and send notes about like, how do you get them ready for school? How do you do this? How do you do that? It's because I lost two children, right? And uh, I know my children don't have to be here. They don't have to tell me they love me. They don't have to be healthy. You know, they don't have to uh, recognize me. They don't have to be able-bodied and walking. So I recognize that I'm a blessed man, even though, you know, me and their mom dealt with a very you know, tragic incident uh, some time ago, 12 years ago today. So I'm very thankful um, for Madison and Jackson Griggs who were in my life for a very short time, but it was a very impactful time. And I appreciate them showing me how to be a great dad and then giving it to their brothers and their sister, Aiden in Brooklyn and Chase. So, you know, I tried to, I just want to make sure I acknowledge those little ones because uh, they mean a lot to me and they forced me to be the guy I am today in terms of being a father. Now, podcast hosts, that's a lot to be debatable, but a dad, I think I rock, man. I think I rock pretty well. Um, but again, I want to thank Dr. Williams for joining the pod. As always, thank you, brother, for being here. 
Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Super Duper Pods, S-U-P-A-D-U-P-A-P-O-D. Please email us at superduperpod at gmail.com with any ideas for shows, any feedback, congratulations, hateration, all in the dance to read. Uh, also, did I miss anything else? Oh, hp53productions.com for your merch. I didn't say, <clears throat> for your mer her her her, 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 her. Yes. There we go. There we go. Caught me slipping. Uh, make sure you follow us online. Check out our content. And when you check out the podcast, please leave a review. I mean, come on, guys. Five stars is so easy to give us five stars, isn't it? Is I mean, just it's very all it's five. A click of a button. Yeah. Like, I mean, because if you give four, it's like, come on, man. It's one more star, right? And then one more click over. Three, you're undecided. You know, you should stand for something. Uh, two or one, you just uh, tripping. We're not that bad. Come on, man. So just Can't give be. us can't be that bad so give us a young five and we're going to end the show with the song that dr williams uh suggested to us from sam cook uh jesus left water at the well so thank you for listening god bless you take care of yourselves and each other what's up mama this is the super duper podcast Jesus gave me water. Jesus gave me water. I wanna let his praises swell. Jesus gave me water. Jesus gave me water. Jesus gave me water. And it was not where there was a woman from Samaria came to the well to get some water. There she met a stranger who did a story tell that a woman dropped a pitcher she drank and was made richer from the water he gave her and it was not in the well yes gave her water jesus gave her water jesus gave her water i wanna let his praise swell jesus gave her water he gave that woman water Gave a living, loving, lasting water And it was not in Well, on that woman he had pity She ran back to the city Crying glory, hallelujah And did his wonders tell She left my Savior singing She came back to him bringing The time she had a water, Lord And it was not in the well Yes, gave her water Jesus gave her water Jesus gave the water. I wanna let his praise swell. Jesus gave that woman water. Gave her that loving, lasting water. Water, and it was not in well. Lord, that woman left for shouting. There was no room for doubting that she had met a savior who did a wonders tell. Every time she doubted him, she started to think about him. The man that gave her that water, Lord, and it was not in the well. Yes, gave her water. Jesus gave her water. Jesus gave her water. I want to let his praise swell. Say we gave that woman water. Gave her that loving, lasting water. Water, 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 loving water. And it was not in the well.